All right. What in the world happened to you? Yeah, that's... Um, I bet you everybody in this room has been asked that question and has asked someone else that question. What happened to you? And the facial expression is everything, right? The tone of voice is everything, depending on what, like, right? I, what happened to you? Like, we were supposed to meet last night at 6 o'clock for dinner. You never showed up. What happened to you? Or maybe when you were a young man, what happened to you? Oh, you should see the other guy, right? <laughs> I, I didn't ask my mom permission to tell this. Mom, if you're watching, I apologize. I just remember when I was a little kid, and we, it was a small house in my mom's in dad's bedroom right across the hall, and the bathroom was right across the hall. And I just remember, you know, like when you're asleep and you're not asleep, and there was this, I heard this big banging sound, and, and then my mom, like, ah, and then, like, running to the bathroom, and the lights came on, and I could, something happened, I couldn't tell what happened, and my brother and sister running in, all this commotion, like, something had happened. And then, like, next morning at the breakfast table, my mom had this black eye, and I remember going, Mom, what happened to you? And she went in the dark to the bathroom and the door was halfway open and she hit it perfectly, just like full speed, walking across the room, bam, right into it. I just remember being a little guy. <laughs> Mom, what happened to you? But do you remember like it's no fun saying I ran into a door? Like, who wants, to, who wants to give a lame answer like that? You know, I, I, mean, I was jumping out of a plane. and Yeah, right. Um, what happened to you? There's like, there's a passive, a passive sense to that verb. Like, you're the recipient of someone else's action. The action is happening to you. You are the recipient of that. In this case, it's what did God do to you? What did God do for you? And like I said at the beginning of the service, in the beginning, God. He is the center of the story. So this is, a, this is all really about him. Um, but it's what he did to you. It's what he did to us. This is, this is a creation question. We're made in his image. That's what happened to you. That's what happened to everybody you know. So you, you could ask this question to anybody. Hey, you know what happened to you? You were created in God's image, fearfully and wonderfully made. That happened to you. Um, but this, is, this series is, is, a, is a faith question. What happened to you, the moment of faith? And this morning, I think, we could debate this, no need to really, but um, maybe the most fundamental salvation, faith, what happened to you this morning with a, a fundamental starting place, if you will, a, a fundamental new and holy home and holy passion given. Um, what happened to you? I was given a new home in Christ. What happened to you? This new passion given to me or a new way of putting it as I was I've got this kind of this new extra group of students that I meet with, and I was asking them the question um, about, like, if you're standing before God as a judge, right, and 
He brings out all the files of like every, every sin you've ever committed. It's every wrong you've ever done. And let's just, matter, let's just let's imagine it's on really thin paper and it's really small font. So, you know, it's only this high. And like he stacks it up and you're just like, whoa, really humbled by that. And then he brings another pile out and it's all the things you should have done but didn't do. And it's, it's again, small font, very small margins, front and back. Um, yeah, and, and then it's like all the stuff you thought and wanted to do but didn't do, and then it's another pile, right? And, and, and I'm asking them this, and you can see their wheels are turning, and I'm like, so what's going to happen to all that, right, between you and God? Um, and so they start explaining to me, well, you know, Jesus died for that. Jesus, Jesus takes that, like he stands before the father and he and the father have this this agreement that he would die. He he died in obedience and he he took everything in our file, all the sin in our file. He took it upon himself, and he died the death we should die. I was like, that's a that's a good answer. Good job, y'all. But then I ask them this question: What's in your file now? Like. Do you leave with an empty file? What's in your file now? Maybe I should have named this sermon that. What's in your file now? And that's really what this is about. It's a lot, lot more than that, but it's kind of the fundamental question. And, and it's from Philippians 3. I could have included this back in the whatever series, which also had one of the best bumpers ever. But um, yeah, um, but here we are in Philippians 3. And... It's a question of confidence. It's, it's a question of boasting, maybe your Bible translation. But it's a question of righteousness. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. Um, some people are troubling the church. Um, and it's the same thing that you kind of see a lot in the New Testament. These people who are like, no, you gotta, you got to be good Jews if you're going to be good Christians. And you got to take up the law. If you're going to have any confidence before the Lord, you got to be able to boast in being a good Jew and a good law keeper. And Paul's trying to pull them away from that. And, and this is what he says in chapter 3. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm repeating myself, but don't worry about it. It's no trouble for me to repeat myself. And it's safe for you if I repeat myself. So there you go. When I repeat myself, I'm just copying Paul. Watch out for those dogs, which he's calling these false teachers, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. And here he's, he's, he's talking about their, their, their teaching that the Gentiles must be circumcised to do this whole thing right. And we can get into whole interesting Greek words here and everything, but we'll got to keep moving. For it is we, he's talking about the, the Christians here, the believers in Christ, it is we who are the circumcision. We're the real circumcision. We who serve God by the Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. In other words, Paul's going to get into a little something here where, where it's like, listen, we're, we're serving in the Spirit. We're worship. Our boast is Jesus. Our confidence is Jesus. 
we have no confidence in any sort of family lineage, in any sort of prestige, uh, any sort of educational accomplishment, any sort of works of righteousness. We've got no confidence in that. Our confidence is in Christ. But then he's saying, but if there's anybody out there who would have a reason to have such confidence, I'm your man. And he makes a list. He does this also in like over in First or Second Corinthians. This is a shorter list. If anyone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in flesh, I've got more. So those people who are troubling you and telling you how good they are and you need to be kind of like them, I'm better than them. Circumcised on the eighth day, just like every good Jew was, just like Jesus was. Of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, he can trace it right, right back to the tribe. A Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, like, like, like who's the best law keeper anybody knew? A Pharisee. I'm a Pharisee. I was a Pharisee. Nobody's a better law keeper than a Pharisee. If you want to be really, really zealous as a Pharisee, what's the most zealous thing you could do as a Pharisee? Persecute the church. I persecuted the church. I hunted people down and threw them in jail. You want to talk about zeal? Nobody more zealous than me. Righteousness based on the law? Faultless. You could take me to law court and you wouldn't find me breaking any laws. Like if anybody had any reason to boast for family heritage, being the best Jew you could possibly be, for being zealous for God according to the law, nobody compared to me, Paul says. If anybody could put confidence in that, I could put confidence in that. But then you have verse 7, which starts with the word, but... And this is the part where you might ask, what happened to you, Paul? <laughs> but what, whatever the gains were to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss because it's the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So all of this stuff that was on my resume that I held up to God and said, look at me, God, there's no one like me. Me, 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 the law keeper, the Pharisee, the church persecutor. Look at me, God. I'm on the front row. All of that is a loss. I thought this was a credit. I thought I had a hundred million God bucks in my bank account. It turns out my bank account was $100 million in the red. <laughs> it's, it's a loss because I was depending on the wrong things. It's all a loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. As a matter of fact, everything is a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Can you, can you imagine, stop and think for a second, how much Paul lost in coming to know Jesus Christ. Um, I, I have a good friend who was born in Damascus. 
And he likes to tell me that every once in a while. And he likes to remind me. Well, you know, the Apostle Paul, he met Jesus on the road to the city where I was born. He told me this just yesterday. I got to see him. Yes, I know. I know Charles Paul, the Apostle Paul. I know Jesus came down there. I'm still praying for Jesus to show up to you too, my friend. Um, <laughs> yeah, oldest city in the world, he keeps saying. Um, <laughs> like, what was that for him? Like every Pharisee friend he had, everybody he went to school with, like everything on his resume, everything he had spent a lifetime building up, everything he had boasted in, gone. And he had depended on that. And now it's lost for the sake of knowing Christ. As a matter of fact, he says, all of that stuff for the sake of knowing Jesus is garbage, which is, putting it lightly, you might have a, a Bible translation that says dung. If, you know, if you leave some garbage in your car and then you leave some dung in your car and you leave it shut for a week, one of them is going to smell worse than the other. Um, it's really an interesting word. Um, I think the best way to describe this word is this word was used for if a really wealthy person with like a giant mansion had just a, a knockdown, drag out feast of a party that went all day and all night long and people were just drinking and, and carrying on all night long and everybody was just passed out and thrown up and drunk and it was just awful. And the next morning, the servants with the strongest stomachs had to come in and clean up. That's actually what this word means. It's the stuff that's left all over the floor, all over the tables, and in the corners after the worst party you've ever been to. Like rubber gloves, hazmat suit, cleaning up after that. Nastiness, right? Um, Paul says, that's what my resume of everything I was before Christ is now that I know Jesus. If I can gain Christ, it's all done. And he says, that's what eternal life is, right? John 17, 3, Jesus said, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And if, this is amazing because Jesus comes to Paul on that road to Damascus. But it's not like Jesus stayed in the sky right above Paul's head the rest of his life. Hey, Jesus, you still there? Yeah, hey, Paul, I'm right here, buddy. Yeah, okay, just making sure, you know, like just keep following him around in this glowing crowd everywhere he went. Yeah, Paul speaks of him so personally. Just so personally, yeah, I know him, right? This isn't like secondhand, like an acquaintance. Well, I know a guy who knows a guy who knows him. It's like, I know Jesus. And it's of surpassing worth. Like all these things I did are garbage because of who I know and what he has done. That I may gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in him. And here it is. And this is the foundation of it all because it starts with words, not having. What's the reason for this? How can I be found in him? And in Christ is the key for everything we're going to say the next few weeks. Not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law. In other words, if, if I was depending on the law for my righteousness, 
then my righteousness would be my own, right? Because I could say, I did this, 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 and this, and this, therefore I am righteousness and it is my righteousness. He says, no, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. This is what you call justification, being justified. Paul, where'd you get that righteousness you have? You must be a really good guy. You must really keep the rules well. No, 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 no. This isn't mine. Somebody gave this to me. This is actually Jesus' righteousness. Hey, Paul, what's in your file? I know Jesus cleaned out all that junk in your file. What's in your file now? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. You just don't walk around with envy file. You walk around with somebody's righteousness that isn't your own. The old, old theologians called it alien righteousness. That doesn't mean it comes from Mars. It means it's not yours. It's a righteousness that isn't your own. It's outside of you. For faith in Jesus Christ. This was always, this was always what the prophet said was going to happen. Isaiah 53, 11. After he has suffered, pointing to the coming Christ, after he has suffered, the Messiah has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. The Messiah will suffer and he will rise from the dead. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Justification is exactly what the prophets said the Messiah would do. He will make many righteous. Romans 3, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction, Jew or Gentile. Romans 9, what then shall we say that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Galatians 2.21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Isn't this an amazing thing? Paul is setting up this thing in Romans where you've got the Jews and the Gentiles, and he says there's these Jews who are going for righteousness by trying to be good law keepers. You've got these Gentiles over here, and they're just kind of like, whatever, just kind of doing their own things, being pagans. They're not going after righteousness at all. And up shows Jesus, and they're like, oh, we'll trust him, and God gives them righteousness. And the Jews are like, whoa, that seems a little easy. What? And Paul says, are you jealous? (laughs) You can have it too, right? But it's that righteousness given through faith in Christ that is the power and the motivation where he says, Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and to attain the resurrection from the dead. Sorry, I'm preaching on that on Easter. What happened to you? You rose from the dead with him. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's just good. Um, To know Christ is to be not only in relationship with him, but to have his power and to participate in his sufferings. To suffer with him and to walk with him in his power. 
But to Paul, this was just so real. Because when you look at his post righteous by faith accomplishments, it's all sufferings and beatings and lashes and shipwrecks, right? It's a totally different kind of resume after Christ. Paul, what's in your file? What's your new home? I'm in Christ. I've got a a righteousness that's not even mine. Everything else, that's just the cleanup after a wild party. You don't want that stuff hanging around. You realize what Paul had to do? Paul had to repent of his righteousness, his law righteousness, because that was his boast, his confidence. His boast was what he had done, and he had to shift his boast to what Christ had done for him. So what's in your file? Is it the righteousness of Christ or is it your own righteousness? Let me just start here. Um, There is a danger, I believe, for me, for many of us. Um, I didn't come out of a church background, so some of you maybe came out of a background that was very, very legalistic. Maybe you came out of a different sort of religious background. And and maybe it was just a very law-keeping background. And you met Jesus, and it was the first time you ever heard about grace, and it was like freedom. Um, But I know this from personal experience, and I'll speak of my own heart. Um, There is a great danger in the Christian life of trading in one legalism for another. As a matter of fact, let me say this. We are a people who believe in grace, and it's very easy to get legalistic about grace. Isn't that the craziest thing you've ever heard? Like, those people are so legalistic. Why don't they get their act together and and believe in grace, idiots? Right? And it's like, who in the world do we think we are, right? And it's just like, no, get it right, you morons, right? And it's like, wait a minute, am I being a Pharisee about grace? That's the, what, am I crazy, right? It's just, right, or, or just, well, we do things this way, and that's obviously the way Jesus would have done it if he were here, right? He would be a Bible church, of course, and, and we're just, you know what I mean? It's just like, we just, we do things the way we do them, and, and that's just the way God would do them. And, and it's just very easy for a people who believe in grace and have freedom in Christ to find new things, to brag about and to be confident about instead of just being Jesus-y people. And so it's like I heard Rich Mullins once once say, I I find myself all the time having to repent of my righteousness. And I just, that is so me. I just, I'm just constantly having to repent of my righteousness. And I'm constantly having to think of things when Jesus said, like, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and, and loses himself? Or... If you lose your life, you will find it, right? Um, Like, what am I really losing for Jesus, right? Um, but, but, But the whole idea of what's in your file, like is the righteousness of Christ in your file? Um, I have a friend who... Like, if you had known him 
30 years ago and you knew him now, you wouldn't think he was the same person. Like you would say, what happened to you? Man, you are so much better than you used to be. Like you are a good guy now. <laughs> because he has just been on this be a better person thing for a while. Um, he's just worked hard at being a better person. And he believes God will accept him because of it. Um, and, I, and I've asked him, I said, well, how good do you think is good enough? And he said, well, I'll do my best, and if God says it wasn't good enough, then so be it. Um, and this, this weighs on me. To, to be very honest with you, this weighs on me. It's not like a crisis of faith, but it's like, um, what about lost people who used to be really, really horrible, and now they're pretty good? You know, I know you know somebody like this, right? Um, like, we all know there was only one person who was ever good enough, and they named the whole thing after him. We call it Christianity. Like, it's, it's Jesus. We named it after him, right? Um, but we all know, also know that there was only one person who's good enough. There's not some magic line out there where there's this, this guy named Phil in Wisconsin, and he's like the last guy across the line for good enough. And everybody that's worse than Phil doesn't get in. Phil doesn't know this. No, God didn't tell him. But he's the guy. He's the guy. And if you're worse than Phil, you're going to hell. And everybody who's Phil or better goes to heaven. And that's just it. <laughs> it wasn't you, Phil. Don't, you're not in danger. You're like, you're like 10 degrees better than that guy in Wisconsin. But <laughs> you're way safe, right? Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, who's the magic good guy out there who's just good enough? He's right across the good enough line. Um, and why wasn't God more fair when he didn't explicitly tell us how good enough, good, good enough is, right? And it's like, all where it seems that when you think about that, we're really just trying to balance the scales. Like, we're honest enough to admit we've sinned, but we're just really trying hard to get enough good on the good side because we really know we've sinned, but we don't realize how bad it is. Um, but we're really just depending on our righteousness, when God, what God really wants is faith. He just wants our trust. And just two things I just want to say. Um, this is going to sound like a, a bad illustration. If I was your next door neighbor and I like um, poisoned your dog, my apologies if anyone ever poisoned your dog. If I poisoned your dog and you caught me and I came to your door the next day just crying and I said, listen, man, I'm going to wash your car every week for the next three months. No, make it six. For the next year, I'm washing your car. I'm washing your car and your wife's car for the next year. I'll make it up to you. You would be offended You'd be angered by that. You would say, don't touch my water hose, right? Like, who in the world do you think you are that you can make this up to me, right? 
Now imagine looking at the perfectly holy God of the universe and saying, hey God, I'll make this up to you. I'll make this up to you. Like how offensive is that to the God who says, I will not give my glory to another. So don't, don't try to come to me with a resume of what you've done because I'm not going to give you glory. I'm not going to give you credit. But you know what I will do? I will let you trust me and trust the one who died for you. I will give you grace. I will give you something that you can't earn. Like it's so much better than we're working for. <laughs> he wants to give you what you can't earn. It's just like this. You can either work for righteousness or you can work from righteousness. Right? You can work for righteousness or you can work from righteousness. You can work towards your righteousness, like righteousness is out there and I'm just going to work towards it. Or you can receive righteousness and work out of that righteousness with a passion to know Jesus. You can work for acceptance, or you can work from acceptance, right? You can work hard to be accepted by God, or you can simply be accepted by God by grace and live your life out of that acceptance. Do you see how those are two entirely different propositions and the freedom and joy found in one as opposed to the other? One, you can press on to live with this passion ball had to know Jesus and the power of the resurrection and fellowship of his sufferings. And the other is just wondering if you're there yet. I, I listen, I've, I'm like in this place in my life where I kind of have this, fear is probably not the right word, but I'm, I'm like, I don't know what words to put this in, but I'm 55, looking at 56 in a couple of months. I'm about to offend someone. I'm just letting you know in advance. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking about getting old, okay? And, um, and I want to just be a good old person, right? And, and I mean that. I, I want to be a good old person. And, and this is the kind of passage... Um, I've been thinking a lot about this thing C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis says, there's a conductor who stands on a platform at the train station. And he's there for 30 years. And the people come and go getting on trains all day long. And this man calls out cities. All day long, he calls out this city, this city, this city, this city, this city. He calls out 50 cities a day for all the trains that come through. And for 30 years, he does that. And he... and somewhere along the line, he begins to imagine that he's, begin, that he's actually visited all the cities that he calls out. He begins to imagine he's been there when he's never actually left this town. He begins to imagine that just because he's talked about it, that he's actually experienced it. And I realize I am in great danger of that, that just because I've talked about it, that I've actually experienced it. So when I read the Apostle Paul say, I want to know Jesus, I'm like, whoa, I talk about Jesus a lot. I want to know Jesus. And I hope that you guys feel that because I know that the righteousness of Christ is on in my file. I know that. And I know I'm accepted and I'm working out of acceptance. So 
there's a result to that. The result of that should be everything else is garbage and everything else is going to stink if I leave it in my trunk. Trust me, I filled, spilled some cream from Starbucks in my car last week and it got stuck there for a week and I opened my car yesterday and my car stinks to high heaven. You can go clean it out for me if you want. I, oh, it's awful. <laughs> um, I know what Paul's talking about right here. Yeah. <laughs> Um, like, I want to know the power of the resurrection. I don't want to talk about it. I want to participate in the sufferings and become like him in this. And I don't just want to talk about it, but it all starts with the fact that I've been accepted and I am his righteousness. Are you with me in that? Um, would, would you pray for that with me? Would you join me? Lord, I pray that as I ask the question this morning, what happened to you? I pray that we would all know before we leave this place this morning that the answer to the question is, Jesus gave me his righteousness. Jesus gave me his righteousness. I pray that everybody else in here with this room would know, would know with just a simple faith, I have a righteousness that's not my own by faith in Christ. Lord, I pray that that would just be a settled thing. But oh Lord, give us a passion to know Jesus. Give us a passion to live in the power. We've been accepted. We've been given a gift that we couldn't work for. And we press on, press on to know Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would live the kind of lives that would make people ask, what happened to you? That if somebody saw us from 30 years ago, they would ask the question, what happened to you? met Jesus. He did a hundred things to me. How much time he got? (laughs) Jesus, thank you for doing it right when you lived on this earth. And thank you for giving me what you did right. Thank you for righteous brothers and sisters. Thank you for accepted brothers and sisters. I pray, God, that we would accept one another as we've been accepted. Pray that we'd be able to look at each other like people who have righteousness in their file, on their account, that we'd be able to reckon one another this way, like we reckon ourselves. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, y'all. We're not singing. Have a great Sunday.